messages will be right back. I can't believe I ate that whole thing. Are you in good hands? And now, a word from our sponsors. Hello, everybody. Welcome to After These Messages, bringing you hot takes on commercial breaks. We are here to talk about TV commercials today, the good ones and the bad ones, and the ones where people say weird shit like this. My wings are buzzing! My name is Andrew Walsh. That was Terry Crews. He's not joining us today. You would know if Terry Crews was joining us today, but I am joined, as always, by I might even tweet (laughs) about it. You would break your Twitter silence? i break my Twitter silence, finally. Tweet about it. Did we say your name? I I don't know if that came out in the clear. Everybody knows. This is... What's your... Hannah Brooks Olsen? No. Different (laughs) show. Uh, Genevieve has joining me. Joining me? Why am I acting like I'm the host and you're my guest? I don't like this vibe at all. Well, you're the you're the first voice everybody Sorry. hears. I need to I need to. Uh, I'm already off the off the rails here. I need to get back on the rails. Genevieve and I, over the past couple of weeks, have been talking about a lot of Super Bowl ads. We turned in a two and a half hour show last week. I doubt anybody made it to the end of that. Morass. I don't know. There was a lot of people were saying really? they were there for it on the Facebook group. Really? And, um, I all I have to say is you are gluttons for punishment. <laughs> and then I don't know. The week before that, I feel like we went really long too. And yes. both weeks we never let the ad council <laughs> get a word in because we were blabbing too much about all the new Super Bowl ads. So today is not just about Super Bowl ads, but it is all about you. The the ad council you guys have been weighing in of course a lot of it has been about all the new ads we've been flooded with uh, since the super bowl um but some other things in there too including an incredibly interesting local commercial that has one listener freaking out <laughs> she wrote in this is an emergency i need you to talk about this you haven't even seen it's that a one emergency yet. it's a emergency maybe that's our, that's our a show new segment. title today yeah. or, or our segment yeah call the emergency hotline <laughs> <laughs> what is our emergency hotline, by the way, while I'm, while it's I'm 607 here? It's 607-444-5597. I was scrolling to get to it. We've been doing this show for five years, and I get nervous, and I can't give that number off the top of my head. I think I got it right. I think you did. Do you know that I can't even start the show, like our, the same two sentences I say every single <laughs> you have week? To read I it. still have to read it off a script. I don't know why. Um, anyway, let's do it. I said that I was going to talk less and let you guys talk more, so let's do this. Everybody's talking at me. I don't hear words saying. Only the echoes of my mind. I am so glad that ad counselor Jenny sent this in because I'd forgotten about this. This is an ad that I saw before the Super Bowl and I thought it was going to be a Super Bowl commercial, but then we never saw it. I don't think we ever talked about this in either one of our Super Bowl shows. And it turns out this only aired in the Boston and New York markets. Oh, whoa. And it's for Sam Adams. Wow. Now, um, of course, Budweiser somewhat famously or infamously said they weren't going to be running any ads during the Super Bowl this year. And then they ran an ad about how they're not running any ads. And they ran one for all of their products that just listed. It was just like for beer in general. And then it listed yeah. all their ads. Like, oh, wow. Not all heroes <laughs> drink beer. Um, but anyway... Of course, the the Budweiser brand is famous for its Clydesdales and its Clydesdale-centric commercials around Super Bowl time. And this time, Sam Adams, 
of course, a competitor decided to have some fun with that. So in this commercial, we just see some close-ups of horses. So right away, you're conditioned to think, oh, this is a Budweiser ad. But then we see somebody, and it's just a close-up of a hand, removing a pin that clearly connects the horses to what you know the wagon that they're pulling and the next thing you know these horses are going wild in the middle of a city have you seen this commercial i yet? haven't all right let's take a listen to this i think you're gonna like it because i think this campaign has been appealing to you in general surprisingly can I, can I yeah i don't know where this is going but i gotta say i it's a guilty pleasure but i love the your cousin from boston ads your cousin from, from boston, boston. <laughs> like it's like the shortest jingle ever <laughs> And it's weird. It's like it went from being annoying to like a real earworm, which is, I think, a key to successful I also think those are what, pretty well written. Yeah. And, uh, so anyway, let's so, get, yeah, let's this get is, into these horses. That is exactly uh, the campaign. Yeah, this from is. Boston. So now you might have an idea of who pulled that pin <laughs> that was keeping the horses bridled. Majestic horses. Hooves. Uh-oh, here comes the pin. All right, the horses are running wild <laughs> through the streets. This looks like it's in Boston. Whoops, your cousin. From Boston. I did not see that coming. <laughs> anyway, Sam Adams Wicked Hazy IPA. Juicy, right? Can we not tell my mom about this? <laughs> I, I honestly like that um, better than what I was anticipating, which was I thought they were going to go kind of corny and have, like, the horses run to drink or somehow uh, align themselves with Sam Adams, you know, like if the horses could choose. Uh -huh. um, so I actually think this is better. It's a light touch. It's just a good joke about a certain kind of Boston guy. Yes. And it's very funny. You know, I'm bracing myself because I feel like my analysis on this might be off, so get ready for this. But I was, I never lived in Boston, but you lived in Boston for a long time, and I was living in New Hampshire, and we dated for, what, five years maybe while you were down in Boston, so I was in Boston Technically, a lot. I lived in the hub, but not in Boston proper. Proper. <laughs> Somerville. We actually have an email coming up from somebody in Somerville. Um, but uh, anyway, I really loved that city, but I was young, and I was from Ohio, and to me, the thing that I took away from Boston was, wow, what, like, an educated city, right? Because of, again, the hub. It is and also Harvard that. And, and yeah. that. And I wasn't seeing so much of this kind of Southy kind of, you know, how the rest of the world parodies Boston. And right. it's all like this kind of, um, again, a working like kind of class, yeah, a white working class um, aesthetic. And then and then especially through the lens of sports. Right? right. Then I move away. And now I understand this, you know, this reputation of like this kind of guy. And here's my commercial analysis on this. I think it's interesting that a product decides to lean into the negative stereotype, right? Yeah, I mean negative I think may be a strong word. It's it's a it's certainly parody worthy, but I mean, yeah, I guess it's negative. I mean, this is, you know, the, the the your cousin from Boston guy goes to weddings and sort of says inappropriate things. Right. They they never have him. I mean, in real life, your cousin from Boston has like posted some White Lives Matter shit, you know, and like I don't think they want. I think this is a sanitized your cousin from Boston. Wait, you haven't seen the one where he headbutts somebody, right? <laughs> and so I do think that they're they're walking on some slightly thin ice over there, but because um, it could so easily, you know, so easily this guy in real life is problematic, but you know, giving giving your cousin from Boston the benefit of the doubt, like. Uh, it, it's a it's a fun and I think 
fairly gentle ribbing rather than super negative. Yeah, I mean, SNL did a whole yeah. like very like long running. Oh, long running skit. Yeah, right? absolutely. And I don't think every like person who fits this kind of stereotype is also necessarily problematic in that way. I mean, look at Mark Wahlberg. I mean, exactly. Oh. Well. <laughs> um, I, this is a very interesting take on the Paralympic swimmer commercial. Um, that yes, Toyota, I wanted to talk about this. This yeah. is really interesting. So, you know, did we skip that last week because there wasn't a lot of voiceover? Maybe I should actually God, play that. Maybe we should play it. Um, no, there is a good voiceover. I mean, you know, good in the sense of a very descriptive voiceover. Um, the voiceover, this is for Toyota, and I know we talked about it. It celebrates the story of this one Paralympian, uh, champion Paralympian, who is a swimmer uh, who was born with a, uh, a condition that required the amputation of her both her legs below the knee. Okay, let's take a listen to it, because I do think it's explained. This is, this is a call, yeah, it's a call between the, uh, theoretically, or, you know, ima- the imagined call between the adoption agency and her adoptive parents. Mrs. Long? Yes? We've found a baby girl for your adoption, but there are some things you need to know. She's in Siberia, and she was born with a rare condition. Her legs will need to be amputated. I know this is difficult to hear. Her life, it won't be easy. It might not be easy, but it'll be amazing. I can't wait to meet her. We believe there is hope and strength in all of us. Toyota, proud partner of Team USA. The visuals are very artistically done as it's kind of a memory and a kind of a flashback that kind of coincides with the modern day swimmer as she's kind of wrecked recollecting this and also swimming and at times it looks like she's in water in her living room looking back at this conversation she swims through all these moments in her life where that's how people talk first gets into the pool first wins a swim meet in high school or you know all of these like sort of uh pivotal milestones in her swimming career and ends with her imagining or watching her her mother take this call right and um, listener Kristen posted about this on the Facebook page, and I thought this was really interesting. Kristen says, that Toyota ad was garbage. As a disabled person, here's what I saw. A couple who wants to adopt a child is warned by the adoption agency that the child is disabled, like that's some truly awful thing. But surprise, she's an extremely talented athlete, so it's okay. She's so inspiring. It's almost like she's not even disabled. I thought it was really ableist and gross. I'm not trying to take away anything from the athlete herself. I'm sure she had to work her ass off. Language, Kristen. I'm sure she had to work her ass off to get to that level of competition, but she would still be a person worthy of loving parents if she hadn't become an athlete. Disabled people do not exist to inspire other people, and disabled people who are just regular disabled, not also Paralympic-level athletes, are human beings deserving of love, too, says Kristen. That's an interesting perspective. There is something about these commercials where you wonder, like, how much are they exploiting the situation? I mean... There are tons of athlete-focused commercials, right, where it is about adversity. Yes. I mean, any, any, anybody who rises to let that level of athleticism um, has to overcome some adversity. I mean, literally just the adversity of not being 
you know, just staying on the couch and eating chips like I do, you know. But <laughs> when you start to bring yeah. in, you know, um, the perspective of the disabled. They had to work hard. And the, exactly. And anybody has to work hard. But then when you kind of have it start with this conversation like, almost like, is it okay that your new daughter is going to be disabled? Like, do you accept this burden is sort of how it's set up there. I think if I'm if I'm interpreting Kristen's perspective. Yeah, um, obviously I can't speak from Kristen's perspective and it's really, I think, valuable and important to hear how this strikes the ears of a person with a disability. Um, I didn't love, I love seeing, I actually thought visually it was incredibly interesting. Like it's, whether or not we should all, whether or not every athlete's story should be about all the adversity that they overcame is maybe a different sort of more stylistic question. Um, I mean, we, it's interesting, like, you know, some, what about, you know, who, what about the athlete who, you know, achieves Olympic level dressage, but only got into dressage because that's the kind of life that their family sure. could afford to give them, right? You know, mm -hmm. they didn't, they weren't doing dressage from, you know, <laughs> from a low-income neighborhood they were doing dressage because everyone at the country club did it mm -hmm. so i do think there are some i do think there's maybe something a little hacky or trite about only celebrating only only finding ways to celebrate athletes when they were poor or disabled or overcame something like an obvious obstacle mm -hmm. it's it just you know it's a really difficult question to answer as far as this goes, I, I thought the visuals were really inspiring. Obviously, the athlete herself signed off on this presentation of her life. So in some ways, that's her prerogative to tell the story that way, just as it's Kristen's prerogative to uh, not find it a, to be a good representation of disability. I thought that the way the voiceover was done was a little treacly. Mm -hmm. just, just as a consumer of media, you know, the sort of breathy, tearful... Um, I know this is very hard to hear. Oh, it'll just be wonderful, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so that, it, it rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, but I didn't have the takeaway of, of it being a problematic way to talk about disability. I think reasonable people can disagree about this. And I'm not prepared to say one way or the other whether I think it's, I don't think I'm a, I don't think I'm a qualified judge. I think Kristen's much more qualified. Yeah. But I'd be know, interested if we have other listeners with disabilities um, to hear how you how it struck your ear. I and you know, I feel like this comes from a perspective of somebody who's just dealt with a bunch of shit her whole life from people. You know, I, I assume that if oh, you I can live, only, I can yeah. I can only only imagine. And, right? I, and I feel like you know, there's obviously just tons of like discrimination, both explicit and implicit, and, mm -hmm. and from the way our communities are structured to just you know the way people treat you because you are different in any way. But then there also must be even from like. Um, people with good intentions, just a lot of condescen condescension, I yeah. can't speak. But you know what I mean? And that, and this sort of also like seems to play on that a little bit too. And it portrays the parents a bit as heroes as well for loving a child who isn't like every other child. So right. I could just sort of see, I could see why this would be very galling. And also I see why you and I were just kind of like, okay, good overcoming adversity commercial. Like yeah. not, not that this was near our top of our list, but you know, it was fine. Yeah, I mean, is you know, did her parents have to have a conversation with the adoption agency about the, you know, the medical status of the child they were going to adopt? Almost certainly. Mm -hmm. But it was this portrayal of it um, to sell cars. 
to sell cars as first of all secondly is disability being used as a cheap way for non-disabled people to feel inspired and again also you know to sell cars like the more i think about that this woman's uh, experiences this woman's experience. I don't know how much is like actually torn from the pages of history in this commercial and how much is embellished. But like if this was a documentary or some sort of, you know, e even if it was filmed in the same kind of way, but it was some sort of a documentary film that uh, was produced on behalf of an organization mm -hmm. that works for something for disability rights of some sort or just anything, you just anything yeah. other than a commercial interest like this. And there are conversations with the parents about what this moment was like. Yeah. And there are conversations with the daughter about what it was like growing up with these parents or like all of this stuff. I don't want to like just kind of erase that story because I don't know what that story is exactly. But, but this was all of it came back to sell cars as yes. a Toyota commercial. And I think that we can't ignore that. And I want to stay here because I'm actually transitioning into another thing that we have further down the show sheet, Genevieve, which you did more reading on. I think it was Dexcom. It was the diabetes. It's not really. Is it a treatment or is it a monitoring it's system? It's a monitoring system. And it, it's a, it's from, from everything I've read, it really is an, a truly important and great innovation for diabetics. Um, why don't you just play the commercial just to kind of refresh our memories. This is Nick Jonas. Uh, talking about this device that allows you to monitor your blood sugar super easily without the constant finger pricks. Um, you can just keep track of it all the time on your phone. We have the technology to do this. So um, Nick Jonas snaps his fingers and suddenly he looks like a very different person. He looks like an old man. Drones deliver packages and people with diabetes are still pricking their fingers? What? We've got self-driving cars, robots that vacuum, these things. We visited Mars. And finger sticks? Really? Well, that's about to change. Meet the Dexcom G6. It shows your glucose right in your phone and where it's heading without finger sticks. Finally, technology that makes it easier for us to manage our diabetes. Looks like the future, but it's available now. Okay. So, you know, we, we I think we talked about it briefly uh, in terms of sort of the innovation of wearable technology and this being a first-time ad for the Super Bowl. And the fact that we've seen commercials either for this or a similar product and they focus or at least they include the image of the device that you wear. Right. I thought it was kind of interesting in this. They, they never show you the device. They only show you the smartphone. Uh, maybe neither here nor there. I just think it's an interesting ad technique. There's an article that appeared in Esquire, uh, and thank you to uh, uh, listener Ivan, who uh, sent this to us. He said, uh, this is kind of a bummer, but it's an article about the issues surrounding the Dexcom ad. So in this Esquire article, um, which I've forgotten who wrote it, um, but it was written by someone who actually uses, who's a Dexcom user, who has type 1 diabetes, and he begins... Dave Holmes. Dave Holmes. He begins by talking at length about the literal life-saving technology that is Dexcom. And I was kind of reading this going like looking for the turn you know like mm -hmm. the first three paragraphs are about how he was out for a long bike ride one day and his blood uh, glucose was dropping and mm. he wouldn't have known at all if not for this device which because if you, you prick your finger you have to know i'm pricking my finger now for a reason whereas this thing is monitoring, monitoring. and sending you alarms and so he gets an alarm and he says if i hadn't known to stop and and take a glucose packet um i could have fallen off my bike in a desert, you know, in a remote area and never been found and died. In fact, I wouldn't have even gone on a bike ride because that possibility would have been all too real. Mm -hmm. So this device not only saved my life, but it in 
drastically increases, improves my quality of life. Okay, great. Sounds like a fucking miracle. Um, but this ad really rubbed a lot of people with type 1 uh, or T1, as it's sort of referred to here, uh, type 1 diabetes uh, the wrong way on social media. A number of people, and this is from the article, a number of people with type 1 diabetes spoke up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. Their chief complaint, this life-saving technology is too expensive for most T1s. Spend, and basically it boils down to this, spending millions, 5.5 million just to get the airtime, never mind however much Nick Jonas was paid or whatever mm-hmm. else they did, should be spent on access is essentially the argument. And that even for people, for people, for ordinary, for many, for many ordinary people who are T1, um, never mind getting the device, to, this expensive device to monitor their blood glucose, just getting the insulin that they need to live is prohibitively expensive. Mm-hmm. I agree 100%. I mean, I believe we should have single payer. I believe if you need insulin to live, you should have insulin to live. It should not, you know, we should have that. It's it's not, we, we absolutely have the capacity and the, we should have the moral uh, calling to do that. I think that the anger at companies like Dexcom, and we saw some of the same, some of the same complaints I think about Oatly, the the oat milk company. Mm-hmm. Some of the complaints about these companies using their marketing dollars in this way is, I think, misdirected. People didn't think that Oatly should be advertising. Didn't you? I thought you told me that that people were like bent out of shape on Twitter about Oatly. Like you could be spending this money in in better no, ways. No, you know that was during the Super Bowl, and I didn't. I, it was more of a joke tweet. It was something about Dogecoin, which was trending at the time. And oh, somebody, okay. It was no, no. I don't think people were literally complaining. Some people, I think, were missing the mark with the Oatly commercial because it was a very weird commercial that caught your attention, and a lot of people were like, "That was the worst commercial of the Super Bowl. It's too weird." And I'm like, "No, the worst commercial is the commercial you don't even remember right now. Yeah. That commercial was great because you're." talking okay. about it okay then never mind ignore my Talk, yeah example. take that out of it um but here the, the the complaint really is that like you have five plus million dollars that could buy x number of thousands of of these devices for people you should be spending this money on access and i just think it's sort of misdirected like this company as much as Budweiser, as much as, of course, they didn't do a Super Bowl ad, but you know. Sure, they didn't. As much as Mountain Dew, as much as Doritos, this company has a marketing strategy. That strategy is about increasing. It's They're, they're not doing a Super Bowl commercial because it's fun and cool um, to get to meet Nick Jonas. Like, it may be fun and cool to get to meet Nick Jonas. I mean, maybe. Maybe. Um I mean, maybe, but they didn't pay him, and they didn't buy that ad space because of that. They have a stra- they have a marketing strategy, and it's about increasing the amount of money that they make, the number of the devices that they sell. And if you look, if you read this article, some spokesperson essentially makes that point: like raising awareness is important, and it's we spend money on ac- on, on basically charity. We spend money on cr- on increasing access. Um, one of the ways we're trying to make more money so that we can spend more on access is sell more devices. A billions, you know, millions and millions more people know about this device now than than before, including many type two diabetes sufferers, of whom there are many more than type one, mm-hmm. for whom this device would be not necessarily life saving but useful. So, where does Dave Holmes end up? Does he take the side of the angry tweeters, or is he just kind of saying, like, this is what people are saying? It's and- sort of a this is what people are saying, and I can see their point. But at the same time, he sings the praises of the device, and my point is. 
direct your ire, Twitter, to your policymakers. Mm-hmm. Direct your ire to, you know, the fact that health insurance is not available to everybody. And so if you don't have it, you probably not only can you not get this device, you may have trouble just getting your insulin. But that is a policy problem. And either, I mean, like, if you just think capitalism sucks, like, that's a reasonable point of view, I think, you know, it's, there are probably some nuances there. But you can't pick and choose which advertisers are allowed to be capitalist, mm-hmm. is my point. Because you could also, I mean, maybe this is stretching it too far. And I, I don't want to create a straw man here. But you could also just make the argument, yeah, well, um, well, I was going to say Budweiser, but that's such a fraud example this year because of their specific supposedly non-advertising Just pick Cheetos. Campaign. They're spending a lot of money. But yeah, let's just say Cheetos. You could also just say, well, Cheetos is immoral too because they shouldn't be spending all of the money creating junk food that is bad for people and then spending all this money advertising it on the Super Bowl. That yeah, money their product would, doesn't even make the world better. That, At least Dexcom yeah, makes the world Yeah, it's kind better. of funny. It's like they could be using their money for something better too and including the advertising dollars and then wait, what are we doing here? Right, you know? like, oh, do, do we even, like now they don't even sell Cheetos, they just... Uh, build city parks and maybe you do feel that way maybe you think (laughs) yeah capitalism has created a bunch of shit products like uh, cheetos that are killing us and then we need for type 2 diabetes that is there is a real direct yeah so anyway i'm the amount that cheetos spends on advertising the amount of dexcoms we need right so i'm um sort of spiraling here in my argument (laughs) of whatever i'm saying but i will say this so part of me wants to say yeah you're missing the point because now we're talking about Dexcon, and I'm actually learning stuff here because I didn't everything that you told me that Dave Holmes wrote about in Esquire. I didn't really know. I didn't know about how rare this technology was. I didn't realize how important this technology was, and I didn't realize how expensive and um, hard it is to obtain it. I saw these commercials, and I was just like, "Oh, okay." The people who have to deal with that have a new technology way of dealing with it. A new technology way of dealing with it. Um, technological way of dealing with it. Like it just didn't enter my radar. But then, on the other hand, it's not really the commercial that taught me that. It's actually Dave Holmes's article, and which is about the people tweeting. So, in a certain roundabout way, like while I don't agree with the tweeters, it all did kind of come around. It's like actually kind of the backlash did educate me more than the commercial itself did. So in, we're in all way, just talking here. We're all just talking. I mean, one thing that I didn't, I maybe gave short shrift to or, or overlooked a little bit is the the problem that a lot of people had was tonal with this, which was like the the tone of the ad and the message of the ad is like, get with it, fuddy-duddy, stop pricking your finger, just do mm. this cool new thing. And it's like, yeah, we would love to just do this cool new thing. So maybe that there is a sort of a tonal problem there. That's um, interesting because I still think that the the tone goes doesn't go after the the people who should buy this. It's saying that like you've had to deal with you know old technology that doesn't make sense for far too long. Like why are we not helping get this tech? You know what I mean? I didn't. I, again, I don't suffer from diabetes, so like take all of this with a grain of salt. But for me, the tone seems more like the world can do better for people who need yeah. this treatment or this this uh, warning system. Right. And I mean, you know, if you're if you're a pure capitalist, you say Dexcom sells a million more units. Dexcom has a ton more money. Now they can now now the price can go down. It's simple supply and demand. Right. All right. So we talked about two kind of serious issues there. Let's try. And what this show does super well is talk about serious issues that we don't understand (laughs) very well and have no personal experience with. Exactly right. Um, So let's move on to talk about. Don Cheadle. Yeah. And why he's problematic. Everybody loves Don Cheadle. Everybody loves Don Cheadle. Show me the person who doesn't love Don Cheadle. I don't know. What's not to love? What's not to love? Did you know that Don Cheadle has a brother? 
named well, Colin Cheadle. You know what's funny? I saw this story before we did last week's show, but then I didn't feel like it was. I saw it. I sudden. I shouldn't say I saw the story. I saw someone refer to this fact in like a YouTube comment or something, but I it didn't. I didn't see it in coverage of this ad, um, and so I thought someone was just wrong or just mis- mistaken. On uh-huh. A person mistaken on a YouTube comment, I know it's hard to believe, but that's what I thought. <laughs> Wait, Bonerton69 <laughs> was wrong? <laughs> he was the 69th resident of Bonerton. That's why, he, that's why it's his name. Um, so. He was employee number 69 at Bonerton Inc. <laughs> and now his options are worth crazy money. I got a million of them. Oh, my gosh. Um, all right. I was going to riff on that, but I won't. I can't come up with anything better than what you've already done, and we need to move on. But the reason we are talking about all of this is because of the Michelob Ultra commercial, which was pretty high on our list, I think, especially for uh, celebrity commercials and uh, comedy commercials. Um, and this is the one where you have a whole bunch of people that you think are famous people except something's off by a tick. And yeah. we realize they're all impersonators, like a um, – I almost said Frank Stallone again. Uh, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. One of the, you know, you see a Sylvester Stallone, but he's he's clearly not Sylvester Stallone. I would love and- to meet a Frank Stallone impersonator. <laughs> Please tell me there's at least one somewhere. And it's like there's a, a fake. Do you do Sylvester Stallone? No. Nope. <laughs> there's a fake Megan Fox. It's voiced by um, a fake Christopher Walken. You and a fake Lucy Liu, a fake um, Usher. Yeah, and I think, I don't even remember, I, I I assume the whole point of the whole thing is that Michelob Ultra is the real deal and not not a fake. Yeah, I think it was use... like one of those flavored seltzers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, at the end of the commercial, you see somebody who seems to be Don Cheadle on Don Cheadle's yacht, but then the real Don Cheadle comes ziplining in and it's kind of the big reveal. Oh, yeah, it's not you. All of these people were off by a tick because they were all impersonators. And now suddenly the real Don Cheadle zip lines in and confronts the fake Don Cheadle who is on his yacht. And the uh, resemblance is uncanny. I thought it was prosthetics, actually. I don't say that word correctly, do I? Prosthetics. Prosthetics. It's a very hard word for people uh, with a lisp to say. Um, But uh, anyway, it turns out, yeah, the lookalike is his brother, Colin Cheadle, who is also an actor and also looks... But I still think that they must have used some pretty heavy makeup. Don't you think? There was something about... When you look at the still shots of it, let me call it up here. I sort of feel like there's something... Maybe it's just me, but I felt like there's still something uncanny or or seemed touched up about his face. It's hard to say because we've only seen him in this context, right? Yeah, I mean, they're dressed exactly like... They're not facing the camera in the Mm -hmm. same way, so you don't get a one-to-one comparison. I mean, the dude looks a lot like Don Cheadle. Yeah, and again, I'm just looking at one specific uh, still frame that was grabbed by this publication, Looper, um, that Brian sent in to us. So, you know, I can't judge based on that. And again, I haven't seen Colin act in anything else, so I don't have anything else to compare to. Whereas you have seen Frank Stallone act. But I did (laughs) think that this was... Brian points out something interesting because I think it was I think it was last week on this show that yeah. I had said I got nervous there I thought maybe I said it on TBTL and you're gonna be mad at me no but I th- I said on this show that like oh they could have gotten Frank Stallone to and I do said no Sylvester. because that's like a a, a joke it like chain it like mixes up what is the joke yeah it adds another layer of the joke which I still though agree with you on because I don't think that Colin Cheadle is a name I mean Frank Stallone is not I'll give you this he's not an A-lister 
oh, really? You yeah, finally, I'll give you, you that. finally identified someone. <laughs> I'll give you that. He's that not is an not an A-lister. But he is still a name. I heard him interviewed on the radio in the past year about some boxing match. Yeah, like, he's a punchline, but he is a punchline. He is a punchline. So, but whereas Colin Cheadle is not a punchline, no. not to take away whatever acting work he has done. Um, I think congratulations, Colin Cheadle. You're not Frank Stallone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but it is interesting because I said like, oh yeah, they could have gotten Frank, and then we both agreed actually that would have been a, a bit too much, but. Brian points out, well, they did use somebody's brother. I actually think that would have been very funny as long as there was nothing called, as long as it was not called out in the sh- in the commercial uh-huh, right. as like he's sort of a, a somebody. Or if somehow you see the Stallone wannabe just after the 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 um, Don Cheadle. You know what I mean? Right. Like if you didn't see this, because the Stallone would have been too much of giving away the joke early on, I think. Um, I actually thought the Stallone was the worst one. He was the one who, it was obvious to me, even just in the very quick shot where he and the Lucy Liu alike are walking towards the camera. Mm-hmm. I was like, are they going? I actually asked myself, are they trying to have someone who looks like Sylvester Stallone? I mean, once I got the joke, I understood yes, of course. Yeah. But he, unlike the Megan Fox, I thought was very flawless. Serena looked really good. Um, Usher, I don't have as like a as solid a picture in my mind of what Usher looks like, and I don't know what Maluma looks like generally. Yeah. So those two, I was sort of like eh, about the fr- the now 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 he'll always be frank um now the sylvester salone i thought was the least believable right right um so maybe frank would have been a better get when we were um when we were kind of giving away awards and organizing our super bowl our bully awards this year first annual bully awards of course that's what brought you here (laughs) um we had a category for weirdest right weirdest commercial and um David says we should have included the Edgar Scissorhands commercial in that. I think that even occurred to me as a something maybe we should have done and probably an oversight on our part, David. Yeah, you think? I, yeah, I, it is funny because when I think of weird, I think of, you know, Oatly as being the, the, pro, the, the perfect example of that, like... You know, no but context. your weird box is too small. Got, what's that? Your weird box is too small, Andrew. Thank you, baby. I don't know. It sounded like you were flirting with me. No. Really? That was not flirting. That's what flirting sounds like to you? I don't know. I just don't know. One of these days, somebody's going to flirt with me, well, and I'll know it when I hear it. I don't think you will. <laughs> I don't think that you will. What if you had said my weird box is too big? Is that a flirt? No. Okay. It's um. n- you're colder. <laughs> okay. Anyway, David says... I'd say the weirdest ad was the Winona Ryder playing Scissorhands Jr.'s mom, teaching him to drive a Cadillac. So Kim went back up the hills. See, I don't remember the end of Edward Scissorhands, to be honest with you. Uh, I think Edward Scissorhands uh, goes back to his weird castle and uh, lives a sad, lonely life and peers down the hill at, uh, you know, normalcy. And, and it's sad. You know, I said I didn't remember the end. Turns out I don't really remember anything about that movie except for like what I saw in the commercials. I know I saw the movie, but like, you know, you're, it's you're the movie kind of... where a guy has scissors on his hands and he cuts shrubbery into interesting shapes. Well, it's kind of a it's a real Frankenstein's monster story, right? Like he's created. He comes into the town. Uh, how, how are you not more familiar with this? You're a big, much bigger Burton head than I, I am. I know. Um, I don't know. I think I only saw it once a really long time ago, he, and I just don't remember it that at well. At first, he's a curiosity, um, but then his uh, he's kind of bullied or 
he's exploited, I should say, mm. is the, really the thing. And in order to save him from the pitchfork-wielding villagers, he has to flee back up to the castle. Oh, so it's a sad ending. Yeah, they are, they're separated. Is that when he says, Bob, this town needs an enema? Yes. Yes. That's right. <laughs> um, anyway, so David says, so Kim went back up the hill several years later, found Edward. One thing led to another, and here we are. The birth was terrifying. <laughs> Edward died of a self-inflicted wound, and now Kim and Edgar carry his grief everywhere, still social outcasts. I like to imagine that the scissors, when, when Edgar was born, were like, um, like sort of soft and you know the way like baby fingernails are real. Oh like, right, yeah. Soft and yeah, and, and and malleable. And then maybe the scissors don't get uh, don't fully become scissors until later. I yeah. mean, I just think medically speaking, that's the best case scenario. Yeah, and you're probably going to need either way some medical intervention. I think so. I'm going to say, um, it's interesting to know that a man who was made to have scissor hands oh. can that it it's a genetic it is an genetically inheritable. I didn't realize trait. that he was made with. Why did they put scissors on his hands? Now this is. This I is, think you just need to rewatch this yeah. movie. I don't know. The, also, I don't know that. Do you know the answer to that? Who thought? Oh well, this is a good idea. It's like a mad scientist. Nerds, don't at me. Um, it's uh, like a mad. This is me trying to remember the plot of Edward Scissorhands after not seeing it for probably twenty years. I think he's made by a scientist, but he's gonna give him regular hands, but. As like a stopgap, he gives him scissors, but then he like croaks or something and stuck with scissors. Really? Yeah. Then what happens in Beetlejuice? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let's move on. But I have to tell you what happens in Beetlejuice. I actually do. Like, this is a true story. And sort of the genesis of this podcast is I love it when Genevieve just tells <laughs> yeah, me stories. Yeah, we almost did a, of... a movie podcast where I would just tell Andrew the story of movies I haven't seen in that a was while. Good. Like, if that had, that was our first idea. Yeah. And you weren't really interested in doing that, I think. And it just kind of I just think there's so lingered. many, like, movie tape, like, jokey movie hot take podcasts that like yeah. what else really could we add to but it? But if we had done that literally after these messages probably would not exist right now because we probably don't have the bandwidth to do too. It's interesting to think about that sliding door scenario. <laughs> what happens in sliding doors? Um, <laughs> I got an email here from Catherine. That's a movie that is ripe to be parodied in a commercial by the way. Don't Has it think? not been? Not that I'm yeah, aware of. Not. Yeah, I mean, we. Is it our kind of generation and movie watching class that says a sliding doors, you know, just uses that as shorthand for alternate I, history or alternate futures? I think it's. I think it's culturally understood. You think what so? that means? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it could. Uh, there probably is some commercial somewhere where there's like two, two split. Uh, scenarios or whatever yeah. but I think you could absolutely take the the iconography or whatever of that movie and apply it to some story you know it would be perfect for what sliding doors <laughs> like actually a camera now have you seen that movie <laughs> a window company oh wait because it's actually th those sliding doors are subway They're doors subway right doors, yeah. yeah but I don't so maybe for the New York maybe for the MCA <laughs> yeah, or something no maybe although I really like the idea of like Pella you know the brand Pella they make the sliding doors that would be really funny to use as like make a sliding doors parody for your sliding doors commercial right like 
Okay. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, you just never know what lies beyond that door. So I don't know. Um, okay, Catherine, speaking of uh, universe building and, and potentially crossing wires within said universes, we got a note from Catherine about the DoorDash commercial that featured a bunch of... Was it specifically Sesame Street? Yeah, Sesame Street, not just Muppets writ right. large, but it's specifically a Sesame Street scene with a lot of the Sesame Street Muppets and characters and David Diggs um, kind of singing and dancing and walking through the Sesame Street locations and talking about all the different kind of restaurants that partner up with DoorDash. I, I liked it. I would give that like I gave that like a. You it know. was a Michelle Gondry. Yes, yeah, right. Directed by director, Michelle Gondry. Um, but Catherine points out that David Diggs plays Mr. Noodle's brother. Mr. Noodle. <laughs> so the DoorDash slash Sesame Street commercial was a little clunky in the grand scheme of the Sesame Street universe. Now, I had never heard of Mr. Noodle or Mr. Noodle. Are you familiar with these folks? I didn't, no, I, I wasn't, but I haven't watched Sesame Street in a long time. So I went to Wikipedia. Mr. Noodle and his siblings, Mr. Noodle, Ms. Noodle, and Miss Noodle, are characters who appear in Elm in the Elmo's World segments during Sesame Street. Kristen Chenoweth played Mr. Noodle's sister, Ms. Noodle. Sarah Jones played Mr. Noodle's other sister, Miss Noodle. Um, as of 2018, David Diggs and comedian Daniel Corin played two more of Mr. Noodle's brothers, Mr. Noodle and Mr. Noodle, as well as Ilana Glazer as Mr. Noodle's other sister, Miss Noodle. So, first of all, I just love that paragraph. Like, <laughs> there's so much to enjoy there. Um, and I didn't know, but I think they're non-speaking, almost mime-like characters that appear, you know, as it says here in... Um, in the uh, in the Elmo's World segments. Yeah, I looked this up a little bit. Um, I'm not an expert, but uh, Mr. Noodle, the original Mr. Noodle, is is sort of like a mime-like character, and his whole shtick is, um, I think Elmo will say, "What's a banana for?" And Mr. Noodle will like try to use it like a telephone, uh -huh. or you know, try to. Uh, you know, play it like a play it like a saxophone or oh, whatever, Mr. and then Noodle, and then finally, idiot. and like you I, idiot, and that's where the kids are like yelling, "No, <laughs> don't eat, you eat it!" And so then finally, he like figures out how to you know operationalize a banana. Okay, and then and and so it's sort of like a teaching tool in that way. Uh -huh. um, and then these other characters, um, I think, have sort of expanded the noodle universe, uh, the noodleverse. Um, I couldn't find one where. And I think it is very mime-driven, so I'm not sure it would even make sense to play one if we found it. But I couldn't find one where specifically Debbie Diggs was also doing the bits with the with the stuff there with the props. But I did find one where he's in in his Mr. Noodle costume, which is sort of like a big, like a floppy bow tie and kind of kind of clown-like, mm -hmm. and he's singing like a rap version of the. Um, Rubber Ducky song. Oh, I had a music box as a kid that looked like Ernie in a bathtub. And the the music box itself was kind of um, long, and we had a it, it was a separate little piece, a little rubber ducky that was magnetized, and you would put it in the like kind of on top of the bathtub, and as it played rubber ducky, that little magnetized ducky, that ceramic magnetized oh, yeah, ducky I had a would toy kind like of that. spin around. It was one of my favorite toys. Now that I'm remembering it, <laughs> can't believe it didn't break. It was kind of we had a Christmas version shaped. of that where the I think it was like a snowman would twirl around on an ice rink. Yes, it, I'm sure it's the same exact uh, same technology. Okay, let's take a listen to this. So in this one, he does use his voice. He's not yes. he's not like miming. Interesting. Rubber ducky, you're the one. You make bath time lots of fun. 
rubber ducky, I'm awfully fond of you. Photo-thodeo, uh, rubber ducky, joy of joys. When I squeeze you, you make noise. Rubber ducky, you're my very best friend, it's true. I got my rubber ducky, I'm in the tub with bubblies, he isn't very fuzzy, I know my ducky loves me, call up my homie Ernie, the orange one, you heard me, yeah he is the best and I am on a quest to get him in here early, I need that ducky with me, I'll have a bad time, it's uh, gonna be iffy, if I don't see you man, I won't be nifty, oh I'm just feeling dirty, so I guess I'm getting wordy, where's that ducky man, I need him here right now, squeeze him, you heard me, squeak, rubber ducky, I'm awfully Pretty sweet. Yeah, very cute. I like it. Ernie making an appearance there. Um, again, just always the most charming man He's, on television. He is not short on charm. You know, it's interesting. We're talking about Ernie, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, it's interesting, Catherine, saying that it's sort of clunky in the grand scheme of the Sesame Street universe. Clearly, Dovey Diggs is someone who has a relationship with uh, the Children's Television Network or whoever. Do- it's not them anymore, is it? I think it's still the Children's tele- uh, Television Workshop, but or now workshop. they've partnered with uh, HBO. Right. So anyway, he clearly has a relationship with the, um, you know, with the production company and with the show and um, it may be a little weird that they chose not to put him in the costume that he would be recognizable to watchers of the show in. Mm-hmm. But I think it kind of also makes sense that he's just like a familiar face and voice to this universe. Yeah, that's interesting. They could have done because he's. Really, the only thing that really stands out here is the big floppy bow tie, right? Yeah. Aside from that, he's wearing kind of a pink shirt with a sport coat, which is a a little bit f- frivolous, but not... Yeah, it's not wild. If you toned down the bow tie a little bit, he could have been in that outfit for the commercial, probably. Yeah, so and that's interesting to know. I didn't know about the Mr. Noodle characters. I mean, what I don't know about how Sesame Street has evolved is probably, you know, like, Legion, but... Um, yeah, it's funny to me to think how different that show. It still exists. It was a you know a childhood favorite of mine, and yet how different it must be mm-hmm. uh, in the thirty plus years, forty plus years probably yeah. since I've really been watching it. Yeah, and it predated us by quite some time too, right? Yeah. Early seventies, I want to say so. maybe very late sixties. Um, anyway, okay, thanks, Catherine. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, so I told you at the top of the show that somebody wrote in with a. Emergency. Um, <laughs> the person has to remain anonymous, but they said this is an emergency. A local car dealer has put out a truly cringe-worthy commercial. You must see it. It has bad production, weird sexualization of a Subaru. Mm, okay, uh, the owner's wife, or maybe side piece, awkwardly prancing, and the owner singing and playing a guitar. My spouse and I scream when it comes on. Are you ready for this commercial, Genevieve? I mean, it's really been built up, but yes. I'm okay, ready. so um, let's take a listen to this. We see a fella again. I guess the guy who owns or runs the dealership. He's outside, like you know, in front of some cars in the in the lot. Uh, He's got his acoustic guitar, and he's singing a song, and we see a woman checking out the cars behind him, and then eventually we will see her behind the wheel of one of the Subarus driving around, and then at one point, I think, parking on a bluff overlooking um, a nice vista. So take a listen to this. Every time her eyes meet, this feeling inside me is almost more than I can take. Now she is behind the wheel of the car. She's not driving around. I think she's maybe still in the lot checking it out. But she looks 
like she's falling romantically in love with the steering wheel and she's stroking it yeah. very She's really caressing that, yes. caressing that steering wheel. Every little thing that you do, baby, I'm amazed by you. The Super True Love event starting now through March 1st. I love it when local advertisers try to riff on the broader strategy of the company, the central stra- central marketing strategy. You don't think this came down from corporate? Well, the Subaru, love is what makes a Subaru. Right, the true love event is a real thing. Right? thing. Yeah. Um, Maybe let me I rephrase that. This isn't how you think corporate envisioned their message being embodied? Sort of being, yeah, sort mm-hmm. of being recapitulated and, mm-hmm. um, and recombined. Because this feels like, yes, I'm not sure that Subaru meant the true love event to be a, a sexual and romantic love. Between a woman and a car? Between a woman and a car. <laughs> and accompanied by a mediocre at best singing car dealership owner? Yeah. Also, do you think he got the rights for that song? Oh, do you know that song? Yeah, it's not, he didn't write that. Oh, what is it? Is it a parody of something, or is it him just actually singing an actual song? I don't know the song. I think it's just oh, the song, another, unless I a... unless I misheard the lyrics. Me, this feeling inside me is almost more than I can take. Yeah, this is by. Uh, Every little thing that you do. You got there before this me. This by a band was... called Lone Star. Oh really? It's a kind of a hit. I mean, I know it. It's a, a hit that that has a somewhat recent hit. Um, I don't know when it came out. But I like mean, not seventies or eighties. No, or... no, like the twenty, the the two thousands. Uh, interesting approach, though. Um, yes, not great. I understand feeling the need to get that off your chest. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, so someone uh, should alert Lone Star to that uh, misappropriation. Right. Also, Lone Star is a musician. I think I mean, it's a band. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be surprised that I haven't heard of them. But um, have we talked about this before? Listener Brian sent this, and this is a commercial from 1978. It's a public service announcement. Two kids, four kids about safe kite flying. Does this ring a bell to you? <laughs> no. Oh, you know what? We've done similar things. I can't remember we, if we talked it, about this exact one. I this Now this does ring a I bell. Feel like I think maybe this is going to look familiar. So you have this. It's called Kite Man. And you have this. And I think it aired locally. Yeah. This is set out by Pacific Power. So at this time, they're managing the, the power lines, right? And we see this guy out, you know, in a, in a park somewhere. And he's dressed up like a kite. He's a kite man. Yes, he's I do. A, now, that, even before I've seen this, I remember, remember this now. He's not a kite man. He's a kite. Man and a bunch of little kids. No, run he's not up a kite him. man. He's a kite man. Yeah, I think it works either way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Look, there's kite man. Wait a minute. Is a safe kite made of metal ever? Never. Wire or wet string ever? Never. Do you stay away from streets, antennas, and power lines? That's a good joke. <laughs> I like frogs. Yeah. What if your kite winds around a power line? Call the kite man! At Pacific Power. I don't think they ever give the number for the kite man, though. They say call the kite man. 
but they don't say how to just call the kite man. go out in your man. yard and scream, kite man! <laughs> like the mulligan man? By the way, if there's a reason we would have a hard time remembering this, we talked about this in episode number 25. Wow, you looked that up. Yeah. Um, I have a special way of looking things up. Wow. Um, and yeah, I think this is this was the one, that was the episode where we talked about like um, toys we wanted as kids that we weren't allowed to have. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, we talked about the um, the battleship, the G.I. Joe battleship. Yep. Or aircraft Aircraft carrier, carrier USS Flag. Thank yes. you very much. Um, and anyway, that was, I believe, a um, also a listener sent that in. Somebody wanted a kite. <laughs> Never got their kite. Right. Head council, it's jingle time. Hi, this is Emily from Minnesota with a Pizza Hut jingle that I remember from my childhood. So it probably started being used like late 80s, early 90s. And I think what it was, was a centralized number for people in the Twin Cities area to call to be able to order Pizza Hut. And then I don't know if they'd like dispatch the orders to the correct restaurant or whatever. So anyway, here goes the jingle. Call 488-8888. Pizza Hut delivery is really great. Oh, yeah. And then I also wanted to give you a heads up. Like maybe you'll have better luck than I did, but the only version of the Twin Cities Pizza Hut commercial with Jingle that I could find was a later version where I think they had to change it to add the area code of 651. So for whatever reason, they were using the St. Paul area code, not the Minneapolis one. Uh, when you started having to dial 10 digits instead of seven for local calls. And they changed the last part, too, and it was recorded by some weird dad band. And I think people overuse this phrase, but I honestly feel like it killed a little part of my childhood. Okay, so thank you, Emily, for that. I was not able to find the version that you sang, but I did find the version that you're referencing there, the dad band version, as this will be forever known. It looks like... Whoever posted this says, uh, do you remember this commercial uh, from the early 2000s? So this was the reboot that killed Emily's childhood. Dad band is the perfect way to describe that what is, we just saw. And I love that they have it live on stage to a roaring crowd. Right. Although the roaring crowd is clearly from some different footage. Yes. yes. Um, which I imagine there were like eight bored people in whatever bar they rec- recorded this in. Um, but it's so hilarious. That's yes. fantastic. It is That's like, the localiest thing I've I ever I know. Seen. I love it. Yet I do feel like we lived somewhere and this might have been growing up in the Cleveland area, or it might have been in New Hampshire, but I feel like Pizza Hut did this in various cities, because I remember a Pizza Hut number that was mostly one number as well. Clearly not this one. Uh-huh. 
but it must have been a strategy to keep. Yes, but I, I'm, I'm going crazy here because I feel like eight 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 was somewhere where I lived as well. Um, but anyway, that's pretty wonderful. Anyway, um. I also got a note here from listener Laura, uh, who says, I'm the same person who sent you the Poopsie Slime Surprise ad. Do you remember this, Genevieve? Oh, do I? Yes. These are the dancing dolls. They don't poop. They're, it's unclear why they're called Poopsie. But they're unicorns, and they they sing about their poops, and they wear diapers, but But they're also, like, glammed up. Like, There's no poop involved. Poopsie Slime Dancing unicorn dances just like in her music video. She really sings too. Look at that magical booty shaking. Dance along. All right, let's not subject ourselves to any more of that. Laura says, I laughed myself to tears hearing Andrew's reaction to that, so I'm still glad I sent it. But here is a peace offering palate cleanser from my daughter, Olive, singing her favorite jingle. Genevieve, are you ready for this? I'm so ready. Uh, Take it away, Olive. Can you sing your favorite jingle? Waverly, 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 waverly. Thank you. <laughs> that is so great, That's Olive. That's so cute. Also, I love the Olive. name Olive. I do love that jingle. I would say that is one that probably sticks in my head the most. Only I'm always saying Liberty Biberty. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But now yeah. I'm gonna sing Liberty Liberty Liberty. <laughs> yes. Oh, it, that was so it, good. Uh, that was really really good. Um, and we love hearing people sing jingles. Good jingle day. Two jingles. One from a kid. Yep. Don't do much better than that. You can sell anything. You can sell anything. All right, that whole show felt like a palate cleanser to me it after did. us blabbing and. And thank you so much to the Ad Council for your um, your hot takes on commercial breaks. That's right. Um, it was really interesting to read about everything and to see what what we missed. You know, we don't have uh, you have different perspectives, so it's really cool to hear about them. Um, and there's some, I learned a lot today, so thank yeah. you. I learned that the phone number to call with your jingle is 607-444-5597. Hey, I got it memorized now. Great, you did it. Well, I'm reading it. 607-444-5597. Uh, a lot of the content today came from the Facebook group where we're constantly getting new members, right? Getting yes. new applications. Welcome to our two new members this week. So just um, look for After These Messages Show on Facebook, right? Please do, or email us at After These Messages Show at Gmail. Great, fantastic. All right. We have an idea that we're trying to cook up for an upcoming show that I'm excited about. A little uh, little uh, competition between some new ad counselors. Um, so we'll hopefully be bringing that soon. And uh, until then, we will talk to you guys uh, next week. Oh, dip is he's once again back again with the caravan of Manchester, Pakistan. Karachi Posse's options.